I'm going to start uh, this morning by just reading the uh, passage. Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 4, uh, verses 18 to 25. Last week, we were in Romans uh, 4, 1 to 17, the first half of Romans chapter 4. Uh, and so we're going to be, well, this is a lot more difficult when I only have one hand. Um, trying to organize stuff here. And so we're going to be going through the second half of uh, Romans, so really kind of the last third of Romans chapter 4 uh, right here this morning. So it'll be on the screen behind me, and there's also Bibles on the tables in front of you uh, if you need one. And if you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that home with you. Uh, that's our gift to you. All right, let's read God's Word. We're going to start in verse 18, Romans 4, verse 18. Here's what the Word of God says. Talking about Abraham, it says, In hope... He believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So last week, we talked about the promise, the promise of salvation in verses 1 to 17. And we uh, discovered that the promise of salvation is by faith alone. We receive that promise by faith in Jesus and that that faith is a gift from God. So God gives us the gift of faith and that all we have to do, uh, I, I love how uh, I was meeting with some guys this morning uh, and we were praying together and John kind of summarized it up nicely. We just rest in him. Right? We rest in God. We rest in God's love. That's a really uh, good way to, uh, to look at how we receive the gift of salvation that God offers. Uh, we rest in it. We believe it. All right? And so that's what we talked about last week. Uh, it's for anybody, verse 16 of chapter 4 says, anyone who shares the faith of Abraham receives that promise because it rests on grace. So this week, since we talked about how we're justified by faith alone last week, this week we're going to look at what exactly does that faith look like. Thank you. I'm probably not going to use that though. Mm -mm. I got to move around too much. I can't stay stationary. It's just that's how I live my life. I have to move. So, um, but I love your servant's heart, Beth. So this week we're going to look at what does that faith look like. What kind of faith justifies us? And again, Paul is using Abraham as the example throughout chapter 4. So he's going to hold Abraham up as an example, and he's going to say, what kind of faith justifies? Well, let's take a look at Abraham's life. That type of faith is the type of faith that justifies. So we're going we're gonna to break that apart this morning. And when you think about faith, uh, there's you know, one of the, my favorite illustration uh, of all time for what faith really looks like is the trust fall. You guys know the trust fall? Yeah, some of you done it. Actually, matter of fact, we're going to go ahead and do one right now. So if I talk to you before service, come on up. Come on up. I need my trust fall team to so come on up. John, can you blindfold Matt? Thank you. 
All right, so the Trust Fall team's going to come up, and I actually need, hey, Mark, would you come and help me too? Because I was originally going to do this, but now I only have one hand, and the person who's going to be on the end needs to have two hands. So all you're going to do is you're going to hold your hands out like this on the end, and just for his head, okay? All right, so Matt's going to be blindfolded, and he's going to be on this chair. Sometimes Trust Falls are a lot higher, but I really didn't want anybody getting injured at church, so I decided we're just going to do a low ropes course this morning um, and, and not do something too high. So, All right, so Matt's going to go ahead and stand up here. I'm going to hold the chair steady. Okay, now, he's got a team of five friends behind him, right? And it takes faith for Matt, as he's blindfolded, to believe that they're going to catch him, right? He can't see them, can he? So... He doesn't really know for sure if they're going to catch him or not. He has to have faith. Now, how, where does that faith come from? Well, part of it comes from the fact that he knows some of these people. He knows their character. He knows that they care about him and love him, and they don't want him to smack his back on the floor, um, that they want him to be healthy and well and taken care of, right? So he's got to, have, he's got to exercise faith. Now, if Matt were to say, I trust Chris and John and Kate and Mallory and Mark. I really do. And then I was to say, okay, go ahead and fall back then. And he said no. And he refused to fall backwards. Would, could we really say that Matt trusts them? Does he really trust them if he doesn't fall backwards? No. It doesn't matter how much he insists. No, 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 really. I, I trust them. I promise. I promise. Well, then fall back. Nope, I'm not going to do it. Well, Matt, you, you don't really trust them. Like The way that we know the evidence of your trust is that you'll fall back. right? So that's what Matt's got to do. Matt's got to, he can't see where he's going to land, but he's got to trust that they're going to be there, right? So, guys, you know what to do. Matt, are you ready? Ready. Okay, so remember the, the, the routine that, that Jen taught, say falling, and then you guys are going to say what you say. Falling. Falling. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, guys. Okay. So what you just witnessed is faith in action, okay? You witnessed faith in action. That, what, what Matt did when he fell backwards was he put his money where his mouth is, basically, right? And we could see his faith being demonstrated, right? In, uh, in the passage that we just read in verses 20 to 21, Paul says that Abraham never wavered concerning God's promise. It says he was fully convinced. So what was God's promise? Uh, God promised Abraham that he was going to give him descendants as numerous as the stars, and that he was going to give him the land on which he stood, which was the land of Canaan, the promised land, right? Abraham was just one man with a wife, and he was getting old, and they had no kids, no kids, and yet God said, go outside, look at the stars, number them if you can. Your descendants are going to be more than that. And Abraham says that in Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Even though Abraham was old as dirt, he was 100. Sarah wasn't that far behind. She was 90. She is barren. She had not ever been able to get pregnant. And so it says that despite that fact, Abraham was fully convinced that God could do what God said he would do. You see, faith isn't what you think you believe. Faith is what you actually believe. Faith, what, what, you, what you believe is what you do, really. If you want to look at what, what do I believe, all you have to do is look at your actions, what you do, because what you do will line up with what you believe. Just like Matt falling on the trust fall, we can look at his actions and we can conclude from that that we know that Matt believes that that team of five people will catch him. 
because he showed it by the way that he acted. See, oftentimes our beliefs turn out to be shaky when they're put to the test, aren't they? Sometimes our beliefs get put to the test and it turns out that things that we thought we really believed, maybe we didn't believe as firmly as we once thought. For example, I believe that the humble will be exalted and that the exalted will be humbled, like the Bible says. But it sure is hard to let others have the credit and to not take any recognition for myself sometimes, isn't it? Right? It's hard when you don't get recognized for a job well done and other people get the credit. Right? What is faith exactly? What exactly is faith? A lot of people point to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, it's a passage that um, describes, I don't think this is really a definition of what faith is. It's more about what faith looks like. Uh, it says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Right? It's the evidence of things unseen, the assurance of things hoped for. So faith is, is being certain of something that you can't see before your eyes being certain of something that you really have no way to prove, but you believe it more than you believe the hand in front of your face. Now, how do you look at something unseen? It says that, that faith is the evidence of things unseen. That's almost kind of an oxymoron. Like, how do we look at something unseen? And the Bible actually has a lot of examples about that, if you really start to think about it. A couple of them I thought of, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 to 18 Paul says this, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. So Paul actually says, hey, if you, if you want to walk by faith, if you want to, uh, to understand the trials and the tribulations that you're going through in life, don't look at the things you can see, look at the things that are unseen. Jesus in Matthew 6.33, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Look for the kingdom of God. Well, where is that? Well, you can't travel there. They don't sell plane tickets to the kingdom of God. There's not city limits where you can go and, and try to walk in there, right? The kingdom of God, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, right? And yet he tells us to seek it. Well, how do you seek something? You look, right? Seek first the kingdom of God. See, the point is, is that there is a reality that is actually there that you can't see with your eyes. That's why Paul prays in Ephesians 1.18, when he's praying for the church, he's praying for Christians, he prays that, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. The eyes of your heart would be enlightened. What he's praying for for them is more faith. Um, I love how vividly this concept is portrayed in 2 Kings 6, 15 to 17. Um, Elisha, who uh, is not to be confused with Elijah, uh, Elisha was the prophet that took the mantle from Elijah, uh, and uh, basically what, was, what had happened is the king of Syria had been trying to make raids on Israel, and since Elisha uh, walked with God, uh, every time it was about to happen, Elisha knew about it already, and so he would go warn the king of Israel. Well, the king of Syria got wind of this and was kind of ticked off at this Elisha fellow who kept on spoiling his plans to attack and plunder Israel. And so he said, all right, that's enough. Where is this Elisha guy? We're going to get him, right? And so uh, they surround, they, uh, they figure out that Elisha is in Dothan, and they surround Dothan, and they, and they uh, have an army. And in the middle of the night, Elisha's servant wakes up and sees that the city is surrounded, and he's terrified. 
It says, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the servant said, what? That's not in there, but I'm going to put it in there. That's probably what he said. And then Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. My prayer for you guys this morning is that all of us would see what is really there. That's what Abraham did. And that's Paul's point in this passage. That's the type of faith that saves. It's important that we we take time to understand this faith. So two things I want to hit on uh, for the rest of our time is I want to talk about the faith that leads to justification, so saving faith, all right? And then I want to talk about faith that aids sanctification or our growth in our walk with God, okay? So there is a faith uh, that is simply looking and seeing uh, the things that are unseen, right? Looking at Jesus and seeing that Jesus is better than anything else, that Jesus is our Savior, but then we grow in faith. That's the beginning of our journey as a Christian, and then we grow. That's called sanctification, okay? It's the process of, of being made holy. It's becoming more like Jesus, learning to trust God more and more every day. And so we're going to talk about how do we grow in faith? How do we increase our faith uh, in this walk with God? So that's what we're going to talk about, okay? Y'all, y'all with me? Cool. All right, so... Verses 19 and 20, let's look at that again in our passage in Romans. All right. It says that Abraham, he says, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was not, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. So it says that Abraham never wavered in his faith at all, even though it seemed physically impossible for the thing that God had promised to come about. God promised descendants as numerous as the stars. Well, God, we can't even have one kid, let alone descendants more numerous than the stars. What are you talking about? And and as you read through, I would encourage you guys to go home this week and read Genesis uh, chapter 12 all the way through chapter 22. It's kind of the saga of Abraham's life, and it's incredible to watch his faith journey, to watch Abraham grow in his faith, and to watch God be gracious and to help Abraham through that process, right? Uh, Abraham kind of fumbles his way forward, and God is consistently there to help him. But but regardless, even though Abraham fumbled, it says that, in, like I said, in Genesis 15, 6, says that Abraham believed God's promise, and it was counted as righteousness. He believed God more than his own eyes. He says he considered, even when he considered his own body, so he probably, I, I, I don't know if they had mirrors back then. Did, does anybody know? Did they have mirrors back then? I can, okay, they did have mirrors. Sure, yeah, so pause. So Abraham probably got up in the morning and was like, looked at himself, it's like, well, yep, I'm pretty old. I've got wrinkles. And then it says, he, and then he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. He looked at his wife, said, honey, I love you, but you're really old. 
and we haven't been able to get pregnant. He considered these things and yet decided, but God, I believe you more than I believe my own eyes. That's the kind of faith that Abraham had. It says he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he was promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, okay? And, and that faith is a gift. When God gives us that kind of faith, we can't take credit for it, right? It's a gift that's given to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 talks about how uh, just before uh, verse 6, it says that the God of this world has blinded the hearts and minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing, right, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. So Satan keeps us from seeing what's really there. And then verse 6 says, but, but God has shown in our hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So God gives us the gift of the eyes of faith so that we can see what's really there. We must become fully convinced of God's promise to be counted as righteous. Now, God's promise to us today is a little bit different than God's promise to Abraham. What's God's promise to us today? It's the gospel. God's promise to us today is if, that if we place our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, then we will be forgiven of our sins and we will be raised to eternal life. Because Jesus, God's one and only son, came and he died on the cross for your sins. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. So when we believe that message and we believe that not just the facts of it, but that he died for you, that he paid for your sins, and then he was raised for your justification, that when you place your faith in him, you are united with him, which means that your judgment happened when he died on the cross. And just as he was raised from the dead, you will be raised from the dead. That's what faith looks like. That's the promise that we are called to believe today. Saving faith is shoving all of your chips in with Jesus. And you and I have even more reason to trust God than Abraham did. We do. Abraham didn't have the benefit of the cross and of the resurrection. He didn't know about that because it hadn't happened yet, right? We have the cross and the resurrection. We know that, that, that God loves us because he demonstrated it by, uh, by going to the cross and dying on our behalf. And we know God is able uh, to deliver us from anything. We know we can trust him with our entire lives because he rose from the dead, and there's nothing that's too difficult for him. So if anybody has reason to trust God, it's us, right? We've got great reason to trust in God. That's what Paul says in verses 24 and 25. He says that it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. My question to you is, are you fully convinced of that message? Are you fully convinced? Well, kind of going back to the trust fall illustration, if you're fully convinced, then that means that, that actions will follow. What action follows? Well, step one is baptism. That's the first trust fall in our walk with Jesus. We, we get baptized as a way of, of demonstrating that I've decided to follow Jesus. That's the first command that we're called to obey in stepping out in a life of faith. Have you been baptized? And step two, I would say, is, is to begin to follow Jesus, which looks like making disciples, the Great Commission. 
Have you told your friends and your family about the gospel? Have you told them about what Jesus has done for them on the cross? They have to know. See, our faith, guys, is not a blind um, Oprah-style faith in yourself, believe in yourself, just have faith in faith. We don't, we don't have a blind faith. We have an informed faith in a risen Christ. We don't have to doubt God's love or God's power. We don't have to, to hope for the best. We have a certainty because there's an actual Savior who actually came in the flesh, who actually died and who actually rose from the dead, and he's actually seated at God's right hand, and he's alive. So our faith rests in facts. And faith isn't just a one-time experience either. We grow in our faith. Like we walk by faith, like the Bible says. And I'll tell you, the degree that you walk by faith is the, is the degree to which you will enjoy the Christian life. If you are not enjoying following Jesus right now, if it seems like it's pretty burdensome to you to follow the commands of God, it means you're not walking by faith. You're not walking by faith. You are trying to, what, whatever you are trying to do for God, you're trying to do it in your own strength. Um, I don't like uh, turbulence on planes. Not a big fan. A couple years ago, uh, I was on a flight, and the turbulence was really bad. Uh, and, like, we, we dropped elevation, like, really quickly a couple times. And it was kind of a creepy, eerie experience, right? And so ever since then, um, uh, turbulence has bothered me a little bit more. So when I fly... Uh, I, a lot of times when turbulence starts, I'm kind of white-knuckling it a little bit, you know. I have to fly quite a bit. Like, I probably fly like six or eight times a year. And, um, you know, I, but I, I manage, but I'm kind of white-knuckling it. There's other people on the plane, though, that don't mind it at all. Like, it literally doesn't phase them. In fact, there's some people who even think it, it feels fun, right? It's like, oh, I like the feeling in my stomach. It's like being on a roller coaster. I'm like, well, you're crazy. And so, so... I could be sitting right next to somebody while I'm white-knuckling it, and the guy next to me could just be having himself a grand old time, right? Like, we, this is great, you know, and chatting my ear off. And yet we both make it to the destination. Both of us made it there, right? It, it's, the pilot didn't, like, you know, come on the intercom and, and, and uh, send his co-pilot back to come and talk to me and say, Sir, I heard that you're not really trusting in my ability to land this plane safely, so we're going to have to go ahead and reroute, and we're going to go to a different city, and you're going to have to get off this plane because your faith isn't strong enough in me right now, so you need to leave, right? That's not what happens, does it? No. Like, we all get there. We all get to the same place. It, the only difference is, is that the guy next to me enjoyed the flight a lot more than I did, right? He really enjoyed his flight. I did not enjoy my flight, as much as he did. It's not the quality of our faith that matters, guys. It's the object of our faith, okay? Um, getting on the airplane is like placing your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You got to get on the plane, okay? You, you have to get on the plane. You have to take that first step of getting on the plane, and that plane is the gospel, is righteousness in Jesus Christ alone, and that plane is the only thing that's going to take you to being made right in God's sight. It's the, that plane is the only thing that's going to take you into a right relationship with God. You can sing, I believe I can fly all day, but if you don't get on that plane, you are not getting there, okay? So you got to get on the plane. But I think that there's a lot of uh, you guys who have gotten on the plane, but this walk with Jesus, you're white-knuckling it. It's not enjoyable to you. You're saved. You're following Jesus. 
you truly have placed your trust in him. You believe that salvation is in Christ alone. You, there's evidence of your life in that. There's evidence that you're on the plane. Now, don't hear me saying this. If you're sitting there and there's zero evidence of your life, like you're not, you're, like you're not on the plane, like you've never taken that trust fall back, then you may need to think about actually getting on the plane for the first time this morning. But then there's others of you who are on the plane and you're not enjoying it at all. And that's where growing in faith comes in. You see, after you, I've noticed that the more and more flights I've done since that turbulence experience, the, the white knuckling, the fear has kind of started to dissipate, right? Because you start going, okay, like I, it's all in my head, you know, like I know that I'm safe. I recognize that, you know, like turbulence is actually feels a lot worse than it really is, that uh, planes don't crash because of turbulence, like that just doesn't happen. And so you're able to kind of grow, right, in your faith. It's the same thing in our walk with Jesus. Faith that grow. I think what we see from Abraham in chapter 4, it says that uh, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in the faith. What's amazing to me is that Abraham's faith grew as the odds got longer, right? His faith got stronger as the odds got longer. The older he got, the stronger his faith got. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? You'd think it'd be the opposite. Like the more time goes by, the less likely it is that I'm going to have descendants as numerous as the stars, and so his faith would weaken, but his faith didn't weaken. His faith grew. And Abraham wasn't perfect, okay? Like, go read the story. <laughs> Chapter 12 to 22. He made lots of mistakes. Like, twice he basically lied uh, and said that his wife was his sister uh, to keep from, uh, when he was going through Egypt, to keep from them trying to, you know, take her from him because he was like, well, my wife's really beautiful and they're going to see her and they're going to want to take her away from me. So I'll say, I'll say that she's my sister uh, and then they'll treat me with more respect and they won't kill me just to take my wife, right? And so he didn't trust God there. Uh, and then uh, in chapter 16 of Genesis, uh, Abraham gets a little bit impatient and decides that God needs some help keeping his promise. And so when Sarah presents the idea of, hey, why don't you uh, why don't I give you my servant girl as a second wife and you sleep with her and we'll have a kid with her? Abraham goes, you know what? That's a great idea, actually. Now that you mention it, I think we will do that, right? And so Abraham tries to help God keep his promise. So, I mean, Abraham made mistakes, right? That's, isn't that encouraging, guys? That literally like the, like the guy who the Bible holds up is like, hey, you want to have faith? Be like this guy. And yet he screwed up, <laughs> right? That should be encouraging to us. God's not calling us to be perfect in our faith, okay? But that trajectory is always going to be heading up, right? We, we're going to grow. There's going to be slips and bumps along the way, but we're, we're failing forward, right? By the end of his life, listen to where Abraham is. If you're discouraged this morning and you're like, man, I don't have faith like that, just remember that it takes time. A lot of times it comes through trials and tribulations in our lives. That's how faith grows. But listen to where Abraham's faith was the end of his life. Hebrews 11, 17 to 19 says this. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Isaac was his son that God had promised. And he finally, he finally received the promise. And then God told Abraham, Abraham, I want you to go and offer Isaac as a sacrifice. I want you to give him back to me, basically. It says that by faith, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And then listen to verse 19, one of the most amazing verses in the Bible, I think. 
kind of gives us a window into what Abraham was thinking. It says that he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. What that passage is saying is that Abraham considered when God said, Abraham, you remember that son that I promised you, that I said you were going to have descendants as numerous as the stars through him? The, the one that he's the apple of your eye, you love him just about more than anything else in this world? Yeah, I know him, Lord. Yeah, Isaac. Yeah, I want you to take him and I want you to give him back to me. I'll, I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. And Abraham reasoned in his mind, well, I don't understand why God would do this, but I don't have to understand why God would do it because I know him. I know he's always kept his promises. I know he's good. I know he loves me. So you know what? Even if he is calling me to actually go through this, he can raise Isaac from the dead. So yes, Lord, I'll go. That's faith. Does your faith get stronger when the odds get longer? For honest, many times it doesn't. For our giving, you know, when the bank account gets tight, what happens to our giving? It stops, right? Or when we come across a command in the Bible that, that threatens our deepest idol, right? we, we find a reason not to trust that command. We find a reason not to trust the Bible anymore. Or suffering, when, when suffering gets intense in our lives, what often happens? Well, what often happens is we take things into our own hands. We, we get impatient and we feel like we've got we've to step in because God's not doing it the way we want him to. He's not stepping in quick enough. And so, so we step in and we try to take control of things. I love uh, what George Mueller said. George Mueller um, says this. He says, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. Uh, George Mueller was a man who uh, was a follower of Jesus, and he, uh, he took care of over 10,000 orphans during his lifetime in England. Uh, he built five orphanages that uh, cost about 110,000 uh, British pounds, and he raised all of that money, and he never asked for a dime. He never fundraised. He never went out and asked for money. He prayed for it. He prayed, and God continued to provide over and over and over again through faith. You Guys, here's the thing. You might not be experiencing God in your life. Like God might not seem real to you or, or you might not be experiencing his power in a way that you really want to in your life because you're, you're being careful never to allow yourself to be in a position where you have to trust him for anything. Are, are, is that what you're doing in your life? Are you um, manipulating and changing circumstances in your life and maneuvering so that you never actually have to be in a position where you have to trust God? I think oftentimes that's what we, we do, and then we don't experience God in our lives because we're not doing anything that we need Him for. Right? We're not taking steps of faith whenever it would be a little bit risky, right? We're not following and obeying God's Word if it doesn't already fit in with our current plans and what we really want to do or what we're comfortable with. Faith means obeying God. It means following Jesus into the places where it's kind of unknown, where we can't see the end result. John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest. 
um, I was talking with, uh, I've, I've had several people mention to me, like, and, and comment about Fellowship Oshawa, our church, that, like, we're, you know, we have very evangelistic Sunday morning services, right? Like, they're they're focused on the gospel and, toward, and towards, like, sharing the gospel, and, and it's true, and, and um, we do that for the lost, you know, we do that because we want people to come here uh, who don't know uh, Jesus, but guys, I'll, we also do that for you. <laughs> we also do that for you. The gospel is not just for lost people. The gospel is for saved people. The gospel is for Christians. And none of us can ever, ever, ever get to the point where we, we feel like, oh, I've got this figured out. I know the gospel now. Like, I want you guys to live it. I want you guys to know God and to trust him so deeply that, that you abandon everything else to follow him. The key to walking by faith, I, I think, is, is yielding to God. So if that's something you want to do in your life, you want to have faith like Abraham, I think you need to yield to God. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul is saying that, that my agenda, my plans, my righteousness, I've laid those things down. I've gotten, I've taken everything out of the way uh, so that Jesus' life can live through me, so that Jesus can have his way in and through my life. Like, I think this quote I shared with you guys several weeks ago uh, by Jeff Christofferson, where he said, the kingdom of God is what happens when Jesus gets his way, right? Well, is the, has the kingdom of God come in your life? Is Jesus getting his way in your heart and in your life? That's what it looks like to, to walk by faith, and that's what I want for you guys. God has been um, God has been pursuing me graciously um, and doing a lot of a lot in my life and a lot in my heart recently. I wanted to share with you guys something, uh, just kind of give you a little bit of a window uh, in a, what God's doing in me. Um, I don't do this a lot, uh, just because. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just don't do this a lot because I, I don't want to ever come across as um, uh, boastful, right? Um, but I wanted to give you guys a window into what God's doing in me as a way to encourage you. And I want you uh, to certainly understand and be clear uh, that this has nothing to do with how good Jared is. God has had to, to chase me down. And this has been, you know, like growing. Uh, a lot of times uh, I've been a difficult patient for God. Uh, and I haven't always cooperated, right? Uh, and, and it takes time. And I think all of us, in, you know, in, in some way, shape, or form, a lot of times we resist, you know, what God wants to do in our lives. But here's what I wrote uh, last week in my journal. I'll just read it to you. It says, The refiner's fire continues to consume all that I hold dear. Burn on, O Lord. Set me ablaze for you. Purify me. I want all that you have for me. Teach me to die to myself daily, Jesus. It's no question now that Television, specifically sports, must go. It inhibits prayer and soul winning in my life. It often leaves me angry or tired, and it certainly doesn't draw me closer to Jesus. The same thing with social media. Both of these, even the sports podcasts I'm listening to, can cause me to fall out of step with the Holy Spirit. But I want to walk and talk with God all day. And then... God led me that morning to Acts chapter 5, uh, and as I was debating, 
um, what to do. And I knew that God was calling me to uh, ask some things in my life. And, and again, it's not like sports are bad. It's if you've got a television in your house. I'm not saying that it's bad. Uh, but I knew that it was something that, was, that God was showing me. It was keeping me from enjoying him, right? It was keeping me from walking step by step with him and experiencing his power in my life. And I read Acts chapter 5. That was my next page in my reading plan. And here's what it said in verses 1 to 3. It said, But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And that jumped off the page to me. And immediately I knew God was saying, Don't tell anybody. And don't tell me that you have surrendered your whole life to me when you are knowingly holding back part of it from me. Don't hold back any of the proceeds from me. Trust me with all of it. And so, so my encouragement to you guys this morning is if you would say, like, I have decided to trust Jesus with every part of my life. And if you can trust him for your salvation, by the way, then there's no reason you can't trust him with your sex life, with your relationships, with your finances, with your family, with your safety, with your health. You can trust him with all of that, right? And so if that's you, then don't hold part of the proceeds back. If you said, I have decided to sell everything that I own to follow Jesus, then really sell it. Don't, don't go sell it and then decide to keep some of it back for yourself. Don't be like Ananias and Sapphira. As God has something so much better for you than you could ever possibly imagine, Jesus, that, that life to, to the fullest that he's talking about, that's a, that's a peace and a joy and a kind of life that this world knows nothing about. And, and they'll never have it outside of Jesus, ever. It's not found outside of Jesus. There is a, a joy and a satisfaction that comes from truly laying that stuff down and following him that's indescribable. I've had a great week ever since we cut the cable at my house. It's been awesome. And you know what happened the first day I cut the cable? Like one of the things that had been grieving me is we hadn't seen a baptism in three months. That's not okay with me. I'm not okay with not seeing souls get saved, with seeing people come into the kingdom. The morning that we cut the cable, my wife got to baptize somebody that night in a bathtub. We got to see somebody come to faith in Jesus. I just feel like that's God's confirmation, right? What would happen in your life if you truly surrendered all of it? And said, okay, I'm going to follow you with everything that I got. I'm, I'm going to truly sell it all now. And I'm going to obey your word, even if it doesn't make sense. Even if I don't like what it says, I'm going to trust it. Because I trust you more than I trust my own eyes. I'm telling you, if you do that, you're going to find life to the fullest. You're going to find abundant life. A lot of you, you're going to find that stress and worry is going to melt away. Guys, from an outsider's perspective, from an American coming here to Canada, I can tell you I have never been in a culture where there are people who are more stressed out than here. It blows me away how stressed and how busy people make themselves. And, and it doesn't have to be like that. It really, really doesn't. You don't have to put that on your shoulders. I think that a lot of times we, we, we just busy ourselves, right? And when, you're, when you just put everything in Jesus' hands, then you don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. Like, it's not on your shoulders. So I'll just leave you with four things practically. 
on how to start doing this if you want to do it this morning. Because what I know is that very few people are actually going to do it. Uh, most people, even in this room, are going to hear what I'm saying and they're going to go, okay, that sounds nice. And for whatever reason, it's going to go in this ear and, and out the other ultimately. And you're going to move on with your week and you're not going to be any different when you come back next Sunday. But for those of you who have ears to hear and eyes to see and you want to be different, like you want God to really change you, like that can happen today, this morning. It can happen right now. You can choose to, to lay it all down. And let me plead with you to trust Jesus with everything. That's the kind of, those are the kind of Christians that are going to transform this city. We, we need Christians who are truly ready to follow Jesus with everything that they have. That's what turns the city upside down. That's what it looks like to be a light, a city shining on a hill in your neighborhood. So number one, yield yourself. Okay, yield yourself. That means putting your yes on the table ahead of time. So no matter what God's going to ask you to do, yes. Yes, Lord. All right? Stop asking God to bless your plans. Okay? That's spiritual infancy. That's what we do when we're baby Christians is we ask God to bless our plans. No, stop asking God to bless your plans and start letting him make the plan. Let him make the plan. Well, how do, how do I know God's plan? Well, read God's word. That's where you start. And then start praying and start listening. And he'll speak to you if you'll really take the time to listen uh, to his word and listen in prayer. Secondly, ask for it. You want to grow in faith? Ask him for faith. God loves giving good gifts to his children. Jesus says in Matthew 7, he says, if, uh, he says how much more will the heavenly father give good gifts, will, will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He says, if, if you fathers, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, don't you think your heavenly father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So yield yourself, ask for it. And then make way for it. Make way for it. What does that mean? That means do some inventory in your heart. Ask God to search you. Ask God to search your heart. We will truly be lights when we stop letting self eclipse the life of God in us. You know what a solar eclipse is, right? When the moon kind of comes in front of the sun. Well, we can have an eclipse spiritually in our lives whenever we're letting self get its way, and, and our self can actually eclipse the life of God in us. And it's, it's kind of like putting your, your light under a bushel, like the old song says, right? So make way for it. And lastly, keep short accounts. One, one easy thing you guys can start to do is start your day off in the morning and just say, Father, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit today in Jesus' name. Help me to see where you're at work around me, to follow you constantly throughout the day. And then you pray that prayer as many times as you need to throughout the day. Ask God to, to remind you, to bring it to your memory, to keep on praying it while you're driving, while you're at work. Take like 10 seconds, just a, a quick aside to, to step aside. Or even just, you can, you can be in a room full of people and you can just say it in your head and re-surrender over and over. It's called keeping short accounts with God. Because you're going to notice you're going to get out of step sometimes. Like um, this weekend, um, you know, I, I was uh, having a good day and had a good time in the word. And, and I was constantly like praying, like, God, you know, help me to follow you. Help me to walk by the spirit. And then something happened. Uh, and I, you know, I got short with Jen, you know, and I said something to her. And about two minutes later, like God like was like, hey, you shouldn't have done that. And I was like, you're right. And so I right there just I silently prayed to myself, God, please forgive me for doing that. Please fill me with your spirit. Help me to walk by your spirit. 
Keep a short account, right? Throughout the day, confess your sins. Resurrender your life to God all day, every day. That's what it looks like to, to, to prepare yourself to walk by faith, all right? Uh, we're going to have some discussion questions on the screen behind us um, to kind of talk. But before we, before we get into the discussion questions, um, I just want to kind of close by saying, if, um, if you're here this morning and you know that, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, getting on the plane, when it comes to the trust fall, there's really not any evidence in your life that you're actually following Jesus in any way, shape, or form. Like, you haven't really changed as a person. Um, you know, you're not, you know, you're still doing the same things that you've always done. Uh, God hasn't really made a significant difference in your life. Then this morning, get on the plane. Place your faith in Jesus today for the forgiveness of your sins. Ask him to come into your life and fill you with his spirit and ask him to be in charge now. God, I don't want to be in charge anymore. I want to die to myself. I want myself to die today. That's why when we baptize people, that's why we say buried with Christ in baptism. You're dead. You're a new creation. You've been raised to walk in a new life. You've got the Holy Spirit inside of you empowering you to live a new life. Do that today. And for the rest of you, if you want this abundant life that Jesus has to offer, if you want to grow in faith and learn to walk by faith, then I encourage you this morning to commit to God to do that. All right? Let's pray together and then we'll do discussion questions. God, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for your word. Um, and Lord, I thank you for the gift of salvation that's by faith. I thank you we don't have to work for it. I thank you, God, that you give it to, it as, uh, to us as a gift, that you're the one that opens our eyes to see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. God, I thank you uh, that not only do you initially give us saving faith, but you continue to wake us up in the morning each day, believing, still believing in Jesus, still trusting in Jesus, and that's all because of you, so that no man may boast. And so we thank you for that free gift, and I pray, God, that, there, that everybody in this room would embrace that free gift, that none of us would take it for granted, but that we would truly lay all of ourselves down and follow you with everything we have. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.